Chapter Fifteen of the Friendly Terrace Quartet, or Peggy Raymond at the Poplars, by Harriet Lummis Smith. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen, A Letter. Peggy's stay at home was limited to three days, and its brevity would have surprised her friends less, could they have known how endless each day seemed. Peggy and Ruth went through the familiar routine of sitting down to the table three times a day and trying to eat, of going to bed at night and trying to sleep, and all the time their spirits were straining expectantly toward the future, waiting for news. If the doorbell rang, their hearts jumped. The tinkle of the telephone brought them hurrying, faint with mingled apprehension and hope. But the doorbell was only the gas bill, or the boy to collect for the paper, and the telephone call was from some neighbor to ask if they had heard anything. There was never any news. On the afternoon of the third day, Peggy announced her decision. "'Ruth, I think we'd both be better for getting back to work.' "'Work?' repeated Ruth, her tone suggesting that she shrank from the prospect. "'Yes, I know I must. If you're working as hard as you possibly can, and going home at night so tired that you ache from head to foot, you're bound to sleep.' You can't help it. But this waiting, it's killing. I don't know how I can go back to the store, Ruth said piteously, and have people looking at me the way they do, and perhaps asking me about Graham. It doesn't seem as if I could bear it. Peggy sighed. Yes, I know. But the way I feel, anything will be easier than this. If we were only sure of anything, Ruth went on, the ready tears starting. It wouldn't be so hard. Of course, when Graham enlisted, we knew he might never come back. But not to know anything, just to be in the dark. We'll have to remember, Peggy said slowly, that we're not the only ones, that there are any number of women who will never know any more than we do now. For the past three days she had been haunted by the thought of them, the tens of thousands of women, mothers, sisters, wives, and sweethearts, who only knew that their dear ones were missing. Peggy dared not let herself fancy going on through the years without knowing, with hope growing fainter and feebler all the time, yet never quite dying. In the warm summer sunshine she shivered uncontrollably. Reluctant as Ruth was to present herself again before Mr. Flynn's unsympathetic gaze, and perhaps be compelled to answer the questions of the curious, she at length acknowledged that Peggy was right. For people in trouble there is nothing like work, the harder the work and the more exacting the better. Peggy telegraphed Marian to meet her and took the evening train, to avoid the ordeal of questioning, which she felt would be more than she could bear. She closed the telegram with the words, We have heard nothing. On the train she laid out a program for herself. She remembered reading how generally, since the outbreak of the war, the women of England had discarded the wearing of black for their dead, that the courage of the nation might not be impaired by constant reminders of loss. That was one of the sacrifices the times demanded, Peggy realized, that one's sorrow should be borne without a sign. In this saddened world, where buoyancy and hope had become so precious, she had no right to sigh, even if she could no longer sing. As was to be expected, certain girls at the Poplars found Peggy hard to understand. Her prompt return to work, her quiet self-control which could have passed for cheerfulness with the unobservant, impressed them as almost unfeeling. In the second evening after Peggy's return, when none of the friendly terrace girls happened to be on the porch, Laura Kendall brought up the subject. 
as i understand it they weren't exactly engaged she said and it's plain enough that she really didn't care for him if she had you know she couldn't possibly act the way she does she's as sweet as she can be patronizingly remarked another girl in the group but sometimes you know girls of that sort are just a little bit superficial priscilla was just coming out upon the porch and stopped short in the doorway though she had not heard the previous conversation and no names had been mentioned in the fragments that had come to her ears she had no difficulty in conjecturing of whom the girls were speaking there was a roaring in priscilla's ears she stood with her hands clenched her anger producing a temporary paralysis so that she could neither move nor speak it is needless to say that neither of the remarks above quoted had been addressed to mag whipple but it was mag who answered them you talk like a pair of fools she cried roughly just because she don't go round whining and grouching like you would yourselves you think she don't care if you weren't as blind as bats you could see that her heart was aching day and night and she just smiles so as not to make the rest of us sorry mag had been peggy's first champion but she was not to be the last i think you are quite right mag marion keith said quietly peggy raymond is the bravest girl i know and i'm sure she's anything but superficial i think mag's right in saying that peggy is trying to be cheerful for the sake of the rest of us declared mina eichenberger it's like her unselfishness to share her good times with everybody and keep her troubles to herself sometimes i wonder how long she's going to be able to keep it up alice cameron contributed i never saw a girl change so in so short a time laura seemed rather taken aback by the comments called forth by her speech why i didn't mean to criticize peggy she protested i like her awfully but i thought the way she was acting showed she hadn't really cared for the man mag whipple emitted a snort of disgust rose noisily and went indoors in the dark passageway she collided with priscilla and stopped with an exclamation it's only me whispered priscilla discarding grammar temporarily and a prejudice permanently she put her arms about mag and kissed her thank you she breathed in her ear they make me sick declared mag too angry to be flattered if twas them it would take all of us to fan em and hold the camphor to their noses if they talk any more of that kind of stuff before me i'll tell em something that'll give em a good earache she marched off and priscilla could not help thinking that under certain circumstances one who is not quite a lady has undeniable advantages out of each busy day ruth and peggy found time to write each other ruth admitted that after the first plunge she found it a relief to be at work again mr flynn seems almost human she wrote in her first letter i know he's sorry but he doesn't say so and the next letter contained a sentence which went to peggy's heart she understood the feeling so perfectly the worst time in the whole day is when i go home at night it seems such an age since i left in the morning i can't possibly believe that they haven't heard something peggy had dreaded the leisure time of sunday and she hailed it as providential when the cook developed a headache and in the middle of breakfast gave up work for the day peggy promptly volunteered for duty but mrs lockwood hesitated are you sure you wouldn't be better for resting my dear pluck can do a great deal but it has its limitations oh i couldn't rest i'm all right as long as i can keep busy have it your own way then and as peggy smiled and turned away mrs lockwood's eyes suddenly filled with tears thanks to her absorbing duties in the kitchen peggy got through sunday reasonably well and monday the work of another strenuous week began she came home that night to find several letters awaiting her and she tore ruth's open at once even though she could almost have repeated the closing lines verbatim before she read them there is no news not the ghost of a clue and this is the ninth day 
as a rule the girls letters waited for a reading till after dinner as the time intervening between their return and the serving of the evening meal was none too long for freshening up after a day of labor in the fields after dinner as the girls flocked to the porch peggy went upstairs for her knitting she was about to go down to rejoin the group outside when marion keith appeared a letter in her hand wait peggy she said in a voice which shook uncontrollably i've a letter here which might interest you for all of peggy's valiant efforts to look out and not in her grief was inevitably absorbing and she failed to notice marian's agitation hadn't we better go downstairs where it's cooler she suggested i-i think not i mean i don't care to read it to everyone oh i see peggy exclaimed and as in the dormitory chairs were conspicuous by their absence she sat down on the edge of her cot marian seating herself on the cot adjoining in the dim evening light her face looked unnaturally white the letter is from my cousin roger she explained smoothing the folded sheets nervously he's in the service and just now stationed in a camp somewhere out west he writes very nice thick letters for a mere cousin peggy said with a faint smile well he had something especial to tell me it's the part i thought would interest you peggy marian fluttered the pages with unsteady fingers oh yes here it is she darted a glance at peggy who with the industry characteristic of the times had already started her knitting and began to read her hurried breathing making enunciation difficult we have just had the most exciting experience here for a week or more we have been guarding the railway tunnel just outside the city and when i went on guard today i found watson the chap i was to relieve the color of chalk i asked him if he was sick he said no and then he asked a question that made me feel rather queer say keith do you believe in ghosts it wasn't the question so much as the way he asked it that gave me a shivery feeling along my spine but of course i tried to laugh it off i asked him if he had been seeing things no i haven't seen anything said watson but i've heard something something like a groan he gave me a look out of the tail of his eye and added i wonder if it's a sign of course i told him he was a chump but i felt a little worried for when a fellow has just started on his training and begins to hear things it's a pretty good sign he won't last and while i was calling him down good and proper something happened that put a period to my eloquence for i heard the sound myself there said watson looking at me what did i tell you i began to look around there wasn't a human being in sight but watson and myself there wasn't a tree within a hundred yards just a level stretch of sandy soil with a clump of weeds here and there a few freight cars stood on a siding and i walked over in that direction because they were the only things in sight big enough to hide a man and then i heard the sound again but plainer it's in this car i shouted to watson peggy's knitting fell from her hands to the floor but her fingers kept on moving mechanically marian hesitated for an instant then continued controlling her voice with an effort watson came running when he saw what i was going to do the car is officially sealed he called you'll get into trouble if you break in if he told me that i'd be hung if i opened it i should have gone ahead just the same and it didn't take long to make watson feel the same way either marian there was a man in that car a young chap in uniform bound gagged unconscious his face was badly bruised though whether he had been roughly handled before he was thrown in or whether it was the result of battering around in an empty box-car unable to help himself no one can say and there is no way to tell where the poor fellow came from for everything that would help to identify him was removed the cars came from the east so he must have been picked up somewhere between here and the atlantic coast 
though that's not very definite. Marian stole a half-frightened glance at Peggy. She was listening fixedly, with a curious, strained expression, as if she were hearing some foreign language she knew only imperfectly. Her fingers still moved, as if she were knitting. Marian began to doubt the wisdom of the course she had taken, but she went on reading, because she could not think of anything else to do. Of course we lost no time hustling the poor chap to the base hospital, and the surgeons and nurses are all doing their best for him. He's a big fellow, as tall as I am, and broad-shouldered. He's only skin and bones at present. There's no knowing how long he's been shut up in that infernal box-car. But in spite of that and his bruises, you can see that he has regular features, and must be mighty good-looking when he's not starved to death. If you see anything in the papers up your way about a missing soldier, this fellow has heavy brown hair and gray eyes, and on his left temple a queer little scar like the letter V. Graham! Peggy cried. Graham! Graham! And for the first time in her life, she fainted away. End of chapter 15